the wonder of worship. You know, last week, one of the quotes that I used was, none of us is as smart as all of us. None of us is as smart as all of us. And it takes all of us to make any organization, any family, or any church stronger and better. I hope you've been reading through the book of Genesis with us. If you've uh, been doing that since last Sunday and you've been following along with the two two chapters each week to get through Genesis um, in the month of January, you uh, would have completed chapters 15 and 16. And if you're behind a little bit or ahead a little bit, that's okay. Just keep reading as we do this together as a congregation. And I suggest you read it with your family, your spouse sometimes, or read it aloud if you're at home by yourself. Just, just read it. And jot down a few questions or some places where you can um, underline and think, wow, that was pretty neat, what God did for the children of Israel or for the Hebrews. Now, I know all of you don't write in your Bibles, but if you keep a little notepad close to you, you can write that down or those kind of things that uh, have really inspired you as well. Just remember that last Sunday we also looked at those first 12 verses of Nehemiah chapter 8. where they talked about the importance of worship, talked about gathering together, and they heard the scriptures read, and how they weep because they weren't doing what they were supposed to have been doing before God, and how that grieved their hearts, those that had been in exile for so long, that had kind of forgotten the ways that God had taught them. But then at the end of that chapter, or the, what we read, chapter 11, verses 11 and verses 12, there was a celebration that Nehemiah talked to them about, that they could kind of grab a hold of what they needed, and they could be forgiven and move forward. And so today we come to that 18th verse, where we begin today's scripture readings. The children of Israel needed direction. They had been heading down the wrong path, the sinful path, several times. And hearing the scriptures read... As Ezra did that and those other Levites helped them understand, they saw their sinful actions. And it reads at the end of that chapter 8, day after day, Ezra read from the book of the law of God and the people listened attentively. And they grew closer to God. They found out what their ancestors had done. Now, there's a festival it talks about there. The Festival of the Booths is really what that festival was. And it was in the, the fall, October, November, when the Festival of the Booths take place each year. The Festival of the Booths really commemorates what their ancestors did. If you remember when they were slaves in Egypt, they left Egypt, and then they went out into the wilderness for 40 years. And while they were out in the wilderness, they didn't always have ample supplies of tents and those kind of things to cover them. So they cut branches off the trees to help protect them from some of the, the weather, whether it was the sun or the rain. And so when the exiles get back into Jerusalem, they hear what their ancestors did when they were in the wilderness, and so they continue to celebrate this festival. And that's what the festival, the whole week is about the festival of booths. 
They're just recalling and remembering what their ancestors did. And, you know, we do that sometimes as family, don't we? We sit around the table and we talk about what our uncles, what our great uncles, what our grandpa or what our great grandfathers used to do. And sometimes we think, wow, maybe we better do that. Maybe we better return to some of that. Maybe we better be like that. And that's what was happening with the Israelites, the children of Israel, those that are coming back out of exile. They realized that some of those things that they had forgotten, hmm, they probably need to add back into their life in the way that they worship God. So they wanted to be attentive to that. And if you caught what one of those phrases was, it said they stood and listened for hours what the scriptures were. For hours. And then their hearts were kind of grieved, but then they were also able to find that forgiveness and that grace and move on. So the festival was because of their ancestors getting out of the slavery of Egypt. As we honor God for who he is, we become who we're supposed to be. So where are you on the spectrum of worship? Are you being held hostage? Are you in exile? Are you being exiled by the world? By what's happening around you? By your own failures? Maybe you're returning to God. Maybe you're in a place where you're already facing him. Maybe you're offering yourself to rebuild the temple, the place where you worship. Maybe you're engaged in the scriptures. Maybe you're not where you need to be and you need a refresh, a restart, a reset of your faith. How is your personal worship? I take the opportunity to meet with a couple of ministers at least once a month, if not more than once a month. And even though we serve different congregations and each, each facility, each person, um, each of us as ministers are different and the sizes are, are different and the needs are different in each congregation, our desire is to help people get closer to Christ or to accept Christ for the first time. But recently, our discussion turned to worship, the last time we met. And it's many different forms that we find in the world today. And we didn't say any form was particularly right or wrong. We just discussed everything related to worship, where you should stand or whether you should sit, whether you should kneel, or where you should get up five times or get down five times. You know, we talked about all those things. We talked about music. We talked about sermon styles. We talked about using... Using hymnals, we talked about using the projectors. We talked about sitting at a table versus standing behind a pulpit. You know, we talked about all those kind of things. We talked about sitting in quietness versus beating on the pulpit and yelling and screaming. We did. We talked about all that. But we agreed that none of us has all the right answers. But we did agree that corporate worship is essential for everyone's soul, to be gathered together with the body, to recognize the sin, as well as the joys and the aspirations and the hopes that lie in your heart, to heal the hurts, to be forgiven, 
and to celebrate with God what He truly meant, what He truly means and has meant to us. So God hasn't prescribed any preset format for worship. But rather, when you read the Scriptures, whether you're in Genesis, the book of Daniel, or in the New Testament, we find great ways of worship. Adam and Eve, in the cool of the day, they walked in the garden. Noah on the ark. When he got, they got off the ark, remember, they set up rocks, stones, to worship. I'm sure there's a lot of praying going on in that ark when it was raining. Especially with all those animals to take care of. Worship. We think of Daniel. Don't you think of Daniel in the lion's den? Or when he was in the fiery furnace with his friends. Jacob wrestling with an angel. And getting blessed with a new name. Jesus going and praying by himself. No preset formula for worship. David, King David, when he was a shepherd boy, when he was out wandering in the pastures, taking care of the sheep, he played his harp. Worship. All in different forms. In different styles. All to honor and praise God. So God hasn't set a prescribed way of worship. We got some people from the Methodist church here this morning and other places. Their worship isn't exactly like ours, is it? Our worship isn't exactly like the Presbyterians or the Baptists, is it? Ours is like Marlboro Friends. It's not like the Wesleyans. It's not like Cedar Square. It's not like Springfield. We're all a little different. But let's give our life to God. And that's what the children of Israel were seeking to do, to get back to the way of worship that meant the most to them. Is your spiritual worship in need of a reset? Or have you found that powerful experience that God offers us every week? You know, worship is what we were created to do. It's what we were created to do. And we are stronger when we do things together. At home, um, you know, we bought a farm a few years ago about the time we came to Archdale Friends. And prior to that, you know, I just really had one responsibility, well, I had other responsibilities in the church where I was pastoring, but since we got the farm, I've noticed that I'm working outside more, and I'm doing more things outside, which I really enjoy. I enjoy being outside in God's creation and doing those kind of um, tasks around the farm, but I've noticed that doing those tasks also tarnishes my ring a little bit, or it gets scuffed up a little more, my wedding ring. Now, I haven't slipped over to the side where you get one of those rubber rings. I probably need to do that, but I haven't done that yet, so I still wear my wedding band that uh, I got when we got married almost 38 years ago. And so I still wear this. But it gets scuffed up a lot more. And so what do I need to do if I want it to look good? I have to get it polished so it shines. And we have to do that sometimes with our heart and with our mind when we come to worship. We just need to polish our heart and we need to polish our mind 
with the Word of God, with worshiping others together, with others together. We just need to come as a body to worship, to rejuvenate, to feel forgiven, as well as to celebrate what God has to offer us. So worship begins when we prepare our heart and our mind. When you do that at home, when you read Genesis or another part of the Scriptures or your daily devotionals, you're preparing your heart for when you come into this building or wherever you experience God during the day. We come here to participate in the love of Christ. Sometimes we grieve. Sometimes there's joy. But it begins when we prepare our hearts at home. And this week's reading in Genesis, we found that Noah, after he came out of the ark, remember, he and his family worshipped the Lord. They built an altar. And some of David's words in the psalm provide all inspiring times of worship. Psalms 8.1 reads, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name. In all the earth, you have set your glory above the heavens. Psalms 90, 29, verse 2. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in splendor of holiness. And in Nehemiah chapter 9, you can find some things there where they really, that drew them closer to God. The beginning of Hebrews chapter 12 is not a particular passage about confession and worship, but it teaches that we have to deal with our heart entanglements if we want to focus on our Savior so we can run with endurance the race that is set before us. The people in Nehemiah's time understood, blessed be your glorious name. And may it be exalted above all blessings and praise. You alone are God. Take some time to read that ninth chapter of Nehemiah. And you'll find some of these words or descriptions. He is righteous. He is graceful. He is merciful. He is kind. He is great. He is patient. He is mighty. And he is awesome. Some ways to polish your heart, your mind, on who God is and what he means to you. He is worthy of our worship. He is worthy of our praise. You know, sometimes I need polishing every day. I'm not always right. I don't always say the right thing. I don't always do the right thing. So sometimes I need polishing from God every day. Not sometimes, I always need it. Just as I need to polish my ring if I want it to shine more brightly, we need to polish our heart and our mind in God, in Christ, in His Word, in worship together. The farther away I get, the longer it might take you to come back the more difficult it is to come back. The children of Israel took them years to get back. But they found their way. It's possible. 
It's there for all of us. Just polish your heart and mind a little bit more. And I think you'll be able to celebrate along with the Israelites in what they found. One time as a youth leader at uh, Wilmington Friends Church in Wilmington, Ohio, I was asked to help the St. Columbia Catholic Church teach a catechism class. They were teaching their uh, youth uh, about their history and about some of the things that the Catholic Church believed, and they wanted um, someone from the Quaker Church to come over and teach them a little bit about the Quaker faith and our belief and our history. And so I went, and as we went through the evening, you know, my session ended, and the leader from the Catholic Church joined in, and he asked a question. I've never forgot the question that he asked. It's a simple question, but he pre uh, preempted it with that it came from 1647 when uh, they decided to ask this question to the first group of people and had never been lost since that time. Uh, and so they, the, the priest was asking it uh, that evening that we were gathered there um, in probably 1993, 94, someplace around there. So almost 250 years that same question had been asked. And this was the question. It's pretty simple. What is the chief end of man? What is the chief end of man? A simple question. So what is our end? And they let everybody just be quiet for a minute. And then a child spoke up, and another child. And finally, the leader said, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. That's not difficult, is it? Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And this comes from the 86th Psalm where it reads, I will praise you, O Lord my God, with all my heart, and I will glorify your name forever. What do you hope your chief end is? Who do you want to glorify? What do you want to glorify? May we glorify God in all that we say and do.